Shalom, and welcome to Think Jewish. And I'd like to begin by thanking our sponsor this week, Mr. Holder, who's uh, an amazing musician also. So thank you very much for sponsoring this week's class. And with that, I'd like to go over the title of today's class. Actually, let me just stop for a moment. We did this last week. Is there anyone that wants to mention someone who is not well, who needs the class in honor of their recovery or anything, and also if someone has a loved one uh, who wants to dedicate, you know, mention at least the uh, class in memory, now would be the time. Anyone has a name? Moshe Ben Devora for Rafu Shalema. Anyone else? Avigayim Bet Shemol for Rafu Shalema. Anyone else? Moshe Ben Kayla. Blumeruchla Bas Mercedes. Okay. Medo Zvorabat Nochamadina. Rafal Ezra David. Ben Pesha. Okay. So the uh the title of today's class is Waiting for a Divine Sign, a sign from heaven. And that's a very interesting, very interesting concept. But before we get into this sign from heaven, we have to validate even that that's the right thing to do, to get a sign from heaven. You know, they tell a story of this Rav, a rabbi. He moved to a community. And after 30 days, when he got to know the community, the community approached him and said, you know, it's the custom of this community that a rabbi who comes here always institutes a new takana." Something new. And we take it on because he's the new rabbi and he's making a new takana. So we'd like to ask you, please, your upcoming sermon on Shabbat, please let us know after knowing us for 30 days what takana you feel that we need to take upon ourselves. Okay. So the next sermon, everyone came. They knew that this was a time the rabbi was going to give the new takana. And sure enough, the rabbi gets up and he says his new takana. What is his new takana? He read to them the Ten Commandments. And they're looking at him. And he says, I've noticed that you people are very into new takanot, new revelations. <laughs> but as Jewish people, before we go for the new takana, we need to talk about basic Judaism. We need to talk about coming to shul, davening, lighting candles, keeping Shabbat, keeping kosher. So we're all looking for this new divine revelation that's going to give me my deeper inner purpose in life. But if you really think about it, 3,300 and something years ago, we actually received the divine sign of what we're supposed to do. So very often when we start looking for divine signs, it's actually not a kosher thing to do. <laughs> Many times when we're supposed to ask the rabbi what the code of Jewish law says about this, we instead go into meditation to receive a divine revelation. And it's very interesting because I've never seen anyone do that in Whole Foods. They pick up this product. Dear Lord, tell me, is this kosher? You don't. You pick up the phone, you read the ingredients, you ask your rabbi. But yet we're very into, especially in our generation, we're very into divine signs. Instead of calling up and asking someone, does Judaism have something to say about this? Is there something in Jewish law about this? Is there something in Pirkei Avot about this? Did one of our sages talk about this? 
We're very into the divine inspiration, the divine sign. So before we even continue with the class, we need to question whether there's any place in Judaism for such a class. Why would you and I be waiting for a divine sign? We had the Ten Commandments. We had the five books of Moses. Together with the scriptures and the prophets, prophets and scriptures, we have 24 books. We have a Talmud. Actually, we have two Talmuds, Jerusalem and Babylonian. We have Jewish codifiers. We have commentaries. When we finish all of that and we still don't have the answer, that would be the time to go on a mountaintop and wait for a divine sign. So it's really, really very questionable what we're doing here tonight. Who says Jews are supposed to have divine signs? Jews are supposed to look into the book and see what the divine God told us in his divine book and what we should do in this situation. So let's start the class with that. Because by doing that, I'd like to shed a different light on what a divine sign means. Most of us use divine signs you know, there's a saying, you don't smear caviar like peanut butter. Most of us do that with divine signs. We don't realize that we're talking about caviar. We don't, talk, we don't realize we're talking about something very, very special. We use it for our daily thing. So, God, give me a divine sign. What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to say in the meeting? And most of it really is wrong. What you should have said in the meeting was that you should have done your due diligence. You should have figured out what you were supposed to say in the meeting. And then after you did all your due diligence, you should have spoken to your rabbi or your mentor, your spiritual mentor, and asked them, okay, what does Judaism say? What I'm about to present, is that okay or not? And not go in there and ask for a divine sign. So I'm actually starting this class contrary to everything that we want to talk about today. Because I want to be very clear. We're not into hocus-pocus divine signs. I don't mean to be that nasty, but in New York, there was a man called Son of Sam because he had divine signs from his dog who he should be killing. That's what happens when divine signs go cuckoo. So be careful before we right away get into this divine signs. People have done some very vicious, stupid, crazy things. You know, there were people that got dressed in sneakers and went to a different planet. You know, they all died, if you remember. So be careful with the divine signs. Don't get so caught up with this new age divine signs. You know, we have ancient books with timeless wisdom. And that more than anything, is the divine signs that we're looking for. So why did I give this class? Why am I giving this class? Actually, the calendar is to blame for that. <laughs> Actually, really, she is when we're discussing topics. And God bless her soul. So I'll share with you what really made me decide to give this class is actually a teaching from the Rebbe, blessed memory, one Purim. But what the Rebbe calls a divine sign where that's needed is very different that what you and I refer to as divine signs. You know, when we go buy a lottery ticket, we look for a divine sign. Tell me the truth. How many of you, when you buy a lottery ticket, pick 18, 7, 36, if you're Svartic, 101. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's really amazing because if those numbers ever do win, those Jewish numbers ever do win, you're going to have about a million Jews that won and divide the pot. But we do that because that's divine inspiration. We're going to pick Jewish numbers. That's what we do. And it's really foolish. <laughs> but so it is. It really is. It's what we do, and it's really foolish. So what is a divine sign? So I want to share with you a very problematic statement. Mordechai tells Esther, go to Ahasuerus. 
And what does what does Esther send back a message? Sends back a message that it is the rule of the land. If the king has not called you for 30 days and you come unannounced, unless he sticks out his golden shabrit zahav, his golden what's the word in English, please? Skept, scepter. Thank you. Then you're dead. So she's afraid to go. What does Mordechai answer? No. That the Jewish people will receive their salvation from somewhere else. God doesn't depend upon you. However, know that if you blow this opportunity, at you and your father's household shall be lost. By the way, does anyone know who, who Esther's father's household was? Mordechai. Mordechai was her uncle. According to some opinions, he married her. So he didn't just curse her, he actually cursed himself. And the Rebbe won't put him questions. Well, what kind of conversation is that? She tells you she's afraid for her life, and you tell her that if you don't go, you're going to die. Your whole father's household's going to die. It's going to be terrible. What kind of conversation is that? What's he telling her? So the Rebbe explains as follows, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Every single Jew has a shlichut, a mission. However, every single Jew actually has two missions. The shlichut klalit and the shlichut pratit. There is the general shlichut that every single Jew has. Doesn't make a difference, man, woman, Sephardic, Ashkenazic, Iraqi, Teman, leave that all alone. Because the shlichut for every single Jew, the shlichut klalit is one and the same. And what is that shlichut klalit? It is called Torah and mitzvot. There's no different Torah for different type of Jews. There's one Torah and there's one set of mitzvot. And if you want a divine sign what you're supposed to do, go back to my opening story with the rabbi. When you call up a rabbi, rabbi, I, I don't know, I just don't feel spiritual no more. I feel so drained. I'm not connected. I, I feel like I don't know what happened to me. The Jewishness is sapping out of me. What do you think the rabbi is going to tell you? He's going to ask you, when's the last time you lit Shabbos candles? When's the last time you uh, made a Shabbos meal and invited over some guests? When's the last time you went to a shiur? Now, that's what it's all about. He's not going to look into a crystal ball and tell you, your soul was meant. That, that's, not, that's not what Jews do. You want to know how to be spiritual? You want to have a divine sign? Just ask yourself, what mitzvah can I do today? When's the last time I opened up a Jewish book? And truth be said, that once upon a time, studying Torah was really for the privileged. But today, with the amazing invention of Rabbi Google, every Jew can learn Torah. It really is very simple. If you have an internet, you can be studying Torah. You can be receiving shiurim from the finest teachers all over the world. So if you're asking what your shlichut is, that's your shlichut. Your shlichut is to study Torah and do mitzvot. Which mitzvot should you do? You know the answer to that question is? The one whose opportunity appears before you. 
Why would you step over this mitzvah looking for your divine mitzvah? If this mitzvah is knocking on your door, this is the one you should be doing right now. If you want to know what the divine sign of what I should be doing in my shlichut klalit, in my general shlichut, what is God telling me to do right now? Very simple. Ask yourself which mitzvah is lying at your doorstep. Don't be foolish. Don't step over it because this mitzvah just doesn't talk to me. And it's true. Some people don't come to Minyan. They just don't. That's not my thing. I go to classes. Some people don't go to halacha classes. I go to Kabbalah classes. Some people don't want no classes. Leave me alone. Rabbi, if you ever know that there's a Jew who needs money, call me. I love doing that. I love giving money to poor families that really need it, not the big institutions. I have people that tell me that. So the, it's true. Your soul will tell you what mitzvah it's pulling for. And there's no mitzvah to fight it. Yeah, there are some teachings to do that which you don't like to do. Fine. But if you have a mitzvah you like to do, do that too. The teachings tell you to also do the ones you don't like to do. It doesn't tell you not to do the ones you do like to do. So the bottom line is, before we even start any big class of divine signs of what should I be doing? What did my soul come down into this world for? It was so beautiful up there. It came all the way down. For what? Most of us have a little feeling. My soul came down here to light candles? Come on, that's, that's, everyone does that. My soul came to put on tefillin? The Western wall has full of men putting on tefillin. What did I come down here for? And I'm telling you that you can't ask that question yet. Because before you look for your shlichut pratit, you have to look for your shlichut klalit. And we're going to talk about that later tonight. But I just want to be clear. Do not come in here thinking that Judaism is all about divine signs. It's not about divine signs. It's about two engraved tablets. It's about five written books with another to total 24. It's about Rambam, Bet Yosef, Shulchan Aruch, kosher food, not talking Lashon Hara, all those nuances. That's divine signs. And if you're trying to get around that, looking for a divine sign for me, you're not doing Judaism. So don't call it divine. A lot of divine inspiration is really my own desire clothed in some spirituality so I don't have to really face the facts that I only want to do what I want to do. So let's back off a moment from the topic of divine signs. Let's realize that before anything there's a shlichut klalit. And let me be very straightforward. A Jew who does not want to study Torah and doesn't want to do mitzvot, but wants a divine sign, that's just ridiculous. That's like telling the rabbi, leave me alone with the Torah and mitzvot. Tell me what God wants from me. That's exactly what it's saying. God wants you to study Torah and do mitzvot. Leave me alone with that. Come on. Tell me what does God really want from me? How can I serve God? 
So the shlichut klalit is the first answer. Please do not look for divine signs for a new religion. Just don't do that. Platform. Torah and mitzvot. And if you want to know which Torah mitzvot tickles your soul, just watch. Just watch and see. See what comes easier to you. And that's okay. For right now, we don't have to do Hercules. Do what comes easy. You enjoy studying? Study Torah. You enjoy praying? Pray. Come to Shul and Daven. Do these things. You enjoy the sensation of the Shabbos candles with the Shabbos table? Do it. But then Mordechai tells Esther that of course you're a God-fearing girl. And of course you keep Shabbat. There's a medrash that tells us how she kept Shabbat in the palace. And of course she kept kosher. She did her shlichut klalit. But here is where the Rebbe introduces that besides your shlichut klalit, there's a shlichut pratit. That means every soul, every single soul, comes into this world to study Torah and do mitzvot. Period. That is a definite. Regardless of gender, geographics, anything. That is a definite. However, besides that, every Jew, the soul has a very particular mission. And here Mordechai revealed to Esther that your particular mission in this world was to be in the position to save your people from Haman's decree. And that's why I go back to the words. If you don't grasp the moment, if you don't do what you have to do with Achashverosh, you should know that you and your father's household will be lost. What will be lost? You just said that God's going to save the Jews the other way. If you don't do it, Hashem has someone else. Many emissaries God has. So Mordechai would also be saved. And Esther would also be saved. And the answer is no. They would be saved. But they lost that one moment for their specific shlichut that she and only she had. So here we're introducing a whole new concept. Shlichut klalit and shlichut pratit. Shlichut klalit, there's no one in this room that doesn't have an identical shlichut klalit with the other person in the room, including me. Torah and mitzvot. That's it. Study Torah and do mitzvot. Bottom line. But the shlichut pratit, that's a whole different world. There's a story in the times of the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe told a very big rabbi that I want you to become a balagola. Do you know what a balagola is? Balagola is a wagon driver, what we would call today a taxi driver. Only that in the days of old, the balagola was kind of on the bottom of the spiritual pole. And what it meant for this rabbi who spent his whole life with books, teaching, Torah, to start learning how to fix a horse and how to smear the wheels, you can imagine what was going on. And when people started finding out that this Rav has been hanging out in the Balagola station and taking lessons, they went berserk. They were wondering what happened to him. 
Did he lose it? And he wouldn't answer until his wife faced him. His wife said, I hear that you've been hanging out with the Balagolas and you've been learning a new trade. What's going on? He stood up and put on his gartel, which is a Hasidic sign that he's about to repeat something that the Rebbe told him. And he burst out crying. And he told his wife, this is what the Rebbe told me to do. She immediately said, if that's what the Rebbe told you to do, what are you crying? We spend our whole life wondering if we're ever going to catch the moment of Ashlichut Pratit, because we don't even know. Dr. Rebbe is telling you this is your Shlichut Pratit. So it wasn't exactly the glorious thing you thought it was. But imagine, Dr. Rebbe told you this is what your soul needs to do. He told his wife, you're right. His attitude changed, and he did it. He became a Balagola. Years later, Dr. Rebbe actually passed away. And his son, the Middle Rebbe, took over. Years later, he was in a certain Kretschma. He was in a little hotel. And there was a person there who was very, very wealthy who came from the Poritz's family. And he needed a wagon driver. And the guy told him, if you need a wagon driver, this Jew over there, he's a wagon driver. But I want to tell you right now, I know him for years. Forget about leaving before 11.30 because he wakes up at 6, studies, davens. And when he finishes davening, that's when he's going to take you. And there's nothing you can pay him to take him or to, to go early. That's the way he works his life. Fine. But he was in a rush. He starts nudging him. He starts telling him, I'll pay you this and that. Nothing doing. Finally, the guy sits down and he has no choice. He has no choice. He has to wait. So he's sitting and he's listening to this chassid daven. Now let me tell you the background story of this guy. This guy was actually Jewish. This guy was married to a Jewish woman. He started getting involved with the pirates in business. And one thing led to another thing. He left his wife. He married the non-Jewish daughter of the pirates. He had with her two kids. And that's who he was today. And all of a sudden, this chassid, his prayer, touched something in this guy's soul. The guy started crying. He got very emotional until the point where he got extremely sick. So sick that they had to send someone to the Pirates' palace to tell him to bring a doctor because they can't move him. Make the long story short, he almost died. And then finally, the doctor said, I'm starting to see that it passed over. He's going to be okay. I'm going to leave with medicine, this and this and that. I'm leaving out some of the little details to the story, but I just want to get to the point. He goes ahead, and the rabbi, the, this Balagola slash rabbi, understood what's going on. And he went and he told him, you're on your path. Do teshuva, you'll be okay. I have to go now. Years later, he's by the Mittelte Rebbe for some holidays, and someone taps him on the shoulder. He turns around and says, you don't remember me, do you? To make the long story short, this was that guy. That guy who he met. Now let me tell you the after story. All of a sudden, he gets called in by the second Lubavitcher Rebbe and tells him like this. He tells him, my father turned a rabbi into a balagola. He just came to me and told me that I should turn a balagola into a mashpia. Go to this and this place and you're going to be the Hasidic mentor. Drop the whole job. Job was done. Based on this, there's an entire song. 
I don't know if you ever heard this song or not in camp, for 70, 80 years, and Hashem wears and tears, just to do a favor for another, that actually comes from this story. Why? Because the Altarebbe saw that his soul came down into this world only to save this other soul who ran away from his Jewish wife, got married to a non-Jewish woman, was eating non-kosher, living an entire non-kosher life, had two children with her. That soul was to be saved by this man's soul. And therefore, the Al-Tarebbe had to make sure that they meet. How is this guy who's living that type of life ever going to meet a rabbi in some shtetl? So the Al-Tarebbe changed things. No more rabbi in shtetl, balagola. And when the time is right, he's going to need you for your services, and then you'll be able to do that specific shlichut for what your soul came down into this world. So please understand that I don't know what you guys were thinking when you walked in here and I was going to give a class on divine signs. I know there are people that live a very frantic life looking for divine signs and every bumper sticker you see becomes a potential divine sign and every person that you met becomes a potential divine sign and all of that is true but it's not what this class is about because many people can go off the deep end when they try to live such a life. More than just going off the deep end, you can actually be living a very non-Jewish life under the guise of looking for divine signs. It's amazing what divine signs can have people do. So I'm not here to talk about that. I'm not here to, for you to ask me, you know, I looked up to God and I asked God, please give me a sign. And right there in front of me was a bumper sticker. Maybe you can help understand what this means. And this is real. This is really real. We all go through it. Who knows what? How many times do you go ahead and you ask God, you don't know what to do. And dear, on the FM radio is a certain song. <laughs> listen to your heart. <laughs> That's it. A divine sign. Listen to your heart. A new Ebbetson in town told me to listen to your heart. There's issues here. So I want to be clear with what I mean by a divine sign. Because the real question for divine sign is, God, I know I have to study Torah. God, I know that I have to do mitzvot. I know it's my job as a Jew, every time I meet with a Jew, to make it a meaningful experience. But I also know that besides all of that, there's a shlichut pratit for what I am meant to do. So that's what I want to talk about when we talk about divine signs. And again, this may be a let me down because it would have been a much more fun class, enlightening class, if I were to tell you how to interpret everything you see and everything you hear right after you ask God for a divine sign. But honestly speaking, I'd be lying to you. And there are people that unfortunately do that. And there's a famous story. Chassidim had a saying. Do you remember when Jacob left Lavan? What did Rachel do? Rachel stole the idols. Remember that? And what happened then? Lavan comes chasing. He has a dream the night before. And after everything is done, he gets down to business. He turns around to Jacob and he says, Lama ganafta et alakai. Why did you steal my God? So I heard from one of my mentors something amazing. If you want to be crooked, don't go into religious business. Don't use spirituality to steal from someone. 
because that's a horrible crime. So don't play. Don't play with spirituality. Don't start looking into people's eyes and getting that deep gaze in your eyes. I'm going to tell you, that, leave that alone. It's wrong. It's the worst type of crime ever. When it comes to Judaism, put on your practical hat, be real, ask the halacha, ask pirkavot, ask chassidus, do the right thing. Don't start going to mystics. Caused a lot of problems in our life with these mystics. And I'm being very serious, and I'm sorry, and this is being recorded, and I stand behind what I'm saying. Most of us, when we're not willing to do what we have to do, we won 900 dollar mystic. Don't do that so quickly. Find out what halacha says. Find out what Yiddishkeit says. Find out. Find out Maimonides. Find out laws. You want to know what your specific shlichut is? That's a different question. The question is, how do we know the answer? Mind you, I just want to bring to your attention. When did Mordechai reveal to Esther what her specific divine sign is? When the time came. It wasn't when she was taken to the palace. He didn't say, oh, you're being taken to the palace. You should know. One day. No. Because most of the times divine signs come to us in hindsight. When all the cards and stars and dominoes lined up, Mordechai was there to read the writing on the wall. And he told Esther, this is not a little one. This is not, should I go to the shir? Should I not go to the shir? This is shir every week. I'll go next week to the shir. That's not what we're talking here. We're talking about at ubeisavich tavedu. This is your moment. Oh, if you miss this moment, you'll still go to heaven. Because you're God-fearing, you study Torah, you do mitzvot. You'll still go to heaven. But that moment, that special shlichut, you lost it. And therefore, from that perspective, no. At tavedu. Most of us know Mordechai through Esther and not Esther through Mordechai. Because the Megillah is not called Megillat Mordechai, it's called Megillat Esther. So at tavedu. You blew it for our whole dynasty. Because this is a seminal moment. That's what we need to ask in this class. How do I know what is the shlichut pratit of what my soul came down to this world? I do want to share with you something else. You know, in the story of Purim, there's a lot of grandiose to Esther's shlichut pratit. It's huge. She saved the Jews. Don't ask what happened over there. The other story I told you, how many people you think know that story? How many people know that story? Very few. It happens to be by Chabad Hasid, and we talk about that story. So first of all, not everyone's shlichut pratit is going to one day become a holy book that's going to be spoken about by every single Jewish child. What's beautiful about the shlichut pratit is it's really pratit. It could be between you and God. And many of us believe that my soul was destined for greatness. And many times right in front of our nose is a very unique opportunity to save a Jew's life, spiritually. But we say, nah, nah that's my shlichut pratit. You got to be kidding me. For that, I went through all of this. You never know. You never, ever know. I'm going to tell you a personal story, and I usually don't like telling personal stories. I'll tell you a personal story. 
There was one time that three times within two weeks, I ended up in New York by the OHEL. And not one of those three times did I decide I'm going to go and pay for the ticket. It was just really weird. I was flown down with one person to go to the OHEL. Then I was flown down to do a pigeon at Ben because I'm a Kohen. And then I was flown down to attend a wedding. And this was in a span. Two of those trips were within five days. I'm sitting by the OHEL in the tent. For those of you who know the OHEL, you have the white tent where you sit and you dive and you learn. And I'm asking myself, something's funny here. Three times? Twice in one week? What? <laughs> what is going on here? And I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting. And I'm wondering. All of a sudden, someone comes over to me. He actually was asking a different rabbi, um, much older than me. And the other rabbi said, I got to run right now. He happened to know me. He says, go to Rabbi Lipschitz and speak to him about it. So the guy comes over to me with a book of the Rebbe's letters. And he starts asking me, what did the Rebbe answer me? I'm not going to get into right now all the different opinions about this stuff. But for me, for me, I'm very careful. I don't turn the Rebbe's writings into Ouija boards. It's not just not what I do. So I started asking him, you know, before you start telling me the magical stuff and the Rebbe, he wrote a letter straight to you and this is you, this is where you stuck in the letter and this is what you have to do. If not, you're not listening to the Rebbe. I said, back up. I'm sorry that you introduced to me, but back up for a moment. Can you talk to me? Tell me what your question is. Maybe it's a halachi question. Before you stick it into a spiritual book and ask for a spiritual inspiration, I said, not only that, if it's not a halachi question, it's a hashkafa question, did you find out if the Rebbe actually ever directly spoke about this? I mean, why'd you go into this, put it in the book, open it up, and the Rebbe just talked to me? I ended up talking to the guy. I found out a whole story that happened, a very painful story. Oh, him and a friend, and one became religious, and the guy that became religious heard him. Oh, a whole to do. The end of the story was that after we had a talk and we spoke about what to do, I introduced him to the opening prayer of Krishna Lamita, which is Rabboni Shalolam, please give me the strength to forgive all those who hurt me. And I told him about that concept of you keeping a resentment while that guy is living his life. You realize that he forgot about this. You're still in pain. And we spoke about that concept and how to forgive and the whole story of Yosef with his brothers. He stood up, started crying, gave me a hug. And that was it. My brother-in-law picked me up. He came to just, to, he actually didn't pick me up. He came to give me food, he brought me food. So I told my brother, Moishi, my brother-in-law, my mission here is done. Take me back to the airport. I'm going to try to get onto an earlier flight. Do I know that I was right? Maybe I shouldn't have left. Maybe I should have stayed because then the guy with the big check for the big Chabaras building would have showed up. I don't know. But the bottom line is something told me what I came here for was accomplished. I don't know the guy's name, and I've never met with him ever since. In my heart, I believe that that was why I was there. Now, tell me, I just told you to start with the voodoo shmoodoo, and it sounds like I'm doing the same thing. I'll tell you what I did. What I did was I looked to Hashem and said, I don't know why I'm here. All I want to do is open myself up to whatever I'm supposed to do. This guy was sent to me by some other rabbi. I just was there for him. Does that mean that's it? This was my soul's mission? I don't know. But I know it was weird for me to travel three times to the Ohel, one after another. 
I know it was weird for me to be sitting there not knowing why am I here? God, why am I here? It's beautiful to come to the oil. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd go once a day. But why am I here? Why did I get on a flight, come here, go back? And the answer was, whatever presents itself to you, do it. Don't look for grandiose. Don't go and watch that video that plays from the Rebbe talking and I'm going to see that, the, you know, these people have amazing, I'm serious. Some people have amazing experiences and it's all true. They just happened to ask a question to the Rebbe and they walked inside where the video was playing and they actually heard the Rebbe talking about this concept. I know another person who went inside, he had to ask for help for something and as he comes out, he sees the Rebbe actually in the video giving a dollar to his father, wishing him well. These are all beautiful stories for those who God wishes to work with them that way. But don't be adamant with God that either you open up the heavens and show me a vision or you're not talking to me. So we need to be clear when we talk about signs. Let me say it very simply. We need to be mature and stop being babies. We need to stop being superstitious people. We need to stop playing these Disney World games. If you're talking about a sign, it's very simple. Open up your eyes and see what's in front of you. That's the next sign you're going to get from God. The next opportunity that presents itself to do goodness for Hashem, for Klal Yisrael, for mankind, that's your next sign. But now let's back up. There's something called making yourself a vessel. In Hasidus, that is very huge. In Hasidus, we are taught it's not our job to worry about the light. It's our job to prepare the vessel. Why? Because God created a very unique nature between vessel and light. When the vessel is complete, the light is drawn. When you talk about having a sign, when you talk about a spiritual awakening, I spoke to you a little bit last week. I mentioned a little bit about the 12-step recovery program from addiction. I want to just lean on that program one more time today. In recovery, we talk about a spiritual awakening, and you can't have a real recovery until you have your spiritual awakening. So you're talking to drug addicts that have been having spiritual awakenings every time they smoked up. So what are we talking about here, spiritual awakenings? And what if that spiritual awakening does not come? What do you do? What are you doing? The 12-step program. I want to recover. I read the book. The big book says that we have had a spiritual awakening. Well, guess what? I didn't have a spiritual awakening. What do I do? You know what the answer is in recovery? You work the steps. You do what you got to do. You go to the next meeting. You speak to your sponsor and you work the next step. Let's go now to Yiddishkeit. I'm looking for a divine sign. I don't know. God, I've been in Miami already for who knows how many years. I haven't found my shidduch. I really haven't found my great job either. Maybe I don't belong in Miami. Give me a sign. Someone just told me that in New York there's a job opportunity. Was that a sign? And we go crazy with that. We go absolutely nuts with that. So what I want to share with you is, before you get into the spiritual revelations, you got to prepare yourself. You need to make yourself a vessel. 
And how do you make yourself a vessel? A vessel is not made through meditation. A vessel is made through your shlichut klalit. You wake up today, did you or did you not daven? It's that simple. And I know that you're having a bad hair day, and I know we're not in the mood of davening, and the last thing I'm in the mood of is now having a spiritual thing. I'm actually running late, and I'm going to be driving again with one hand doing my uh, eyelashes and because I'm running so late, and I really don't have time to daven. Just get the words out. Just get the words out. That's all. Just say it. Do what you have to do. It's that simple. Shabbat wasn't spiritual. I don't know what to do no more. Does it pay to be Shomer Shabbat locked up in my house all alone in the penthouse floor? It's even too far to go to shul. And what am I doing? So I graduated. I don't have no more the TV on a timer. I became more religious than that. So now I'm reading books. I'm going out of my mind. Where's my spiritual Shabbat? So let me share with you. In Judaism, we are not reactive. We are proactive. We don't react to emotions. We create emotions. We don't do mitzvot when we feel spiritual. We feel spiritual when we do mitzvot. Shlichut klalit. Don't worry about the divine sign. Don't worry about the spiritual revelation. What they say in the program is, don't leave before the miracle happens. That's all. Keep at it. Just keep at it. Daven again. Go to another shiur. Keep kosher. Do what's right. Don't do what's wrong. Just stick to your shlichut klalit. Make yourself a vessel. Tell me something. Where would Esther have been if when she got married to Achashvero, she took off her star of David and started becoming a superstar in Hollywood? Where would she be when the Jews needed her? What door would Mordechai be knocking on? So if you're asking me what we have to do, waiting for the divine sign, we have to do what our job is to do. What is our job to do? Study Torah, do mitzvot, work on your midot. Just make sure that when the time comes, you're a vessel to hear the sign, to see the sign. Do you know how many people change people's lives because they opened up to talk on a plane? Think about it. Think about how many times you sat on a plane, you took out your Tfilsa Derech, and you started reading it, and before you had a chance to quickly get your earplugs into your ears, the person next to you says, oh, is that Hebrew? Are you Jewish? And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I took the window seat. <laughs> I bought that little pillow. <laughs> That's a divine sign. That's a divine sign. Who knows what you're going to do? Who knows how much divine planning it was to put these two people, you and that other person, together? But would you ever even know about it if she had no way of even telling that you're Jewish? Would you have ever had the opportunity if you didn't take out that little Hebrew prayer and she didn't happen to be a yente and look at what you're reading? Think about it. Divine sign 
is the gift at the end of the course. You study, you study, you do mitzvot, you work hard on yourself when it's not easy. It's not easy in Florida to beat Sneelit. It's not easy in Florida to go to a shiur. It's not easy in Florida to walk the fine line. It's not easy. But you stick to it. You work it. You slip, you get back up. You do it again. Because your focus and my focus has to be shlichut klalit. Prepare myself. I know, I know that my soul came down here to do something. And I might just miss it. I might just miss it because I was on the wrong train. I was on the train of spiritual divine signs. So what we really need to do is work on ourselves. Put your spiritual revelation on hold. Just do that. Put it on hold. By the way, does anyone in this room know how old Moses was when he got his spiritual revelation? Very true. 80 years old. 80 years old. Moses waited until he was 80 before the burning bush appeared to him. Do you know what kind of life he had in those 80 years? He had to run away from Pharaoh. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He spent 70, seven years in a ditch because his father-in-law was afraid of backing him because he knew that Pharaoh was looking for him. His life was no cherries. There wasn't roses. At the age of 80, he gets his divine revelation. After 80 years of staying loyal, working it, all of a sudden God said, your time has come. Which leads me to another topic. There's my time and there's God's time. And they don't work hand in hand. There's when I'm itching and I'm ready for it, God, bring it on. And God says, not ready. You think it's your time, not my time. But God, you know what kind of teshuva I did? You know what kind of life I changed? I used to be and I used to do and look what I changed for you. What do you mean I'm not ready? Tell me what else do I need to do for my specific shlichut? You know what God's answer is? Patience. Keep at it. Keep on polishing the vessel. There's a big one for you. Just keep on polishing your vessel. Imagine what would happen if you find out that at 80 years old you're going to have your moment of glory. Most of us would plots on the spot. 80 years? But that's what happens. So I want to introduce you to something called God's time. Hashkacha pratit. God individually decides who, what, when, where is your time. You're not going to make it happen a minute earlier, and you're not going to happen to make it, make it happen a minute later. And let me share with you something. If you're meant to be in Miami, you can accept 40 great positions and buy 80 tickets to New York. You're going to be in Miami. It's God's time, God's place. What we need to do is put the spiritual revelation on hold. When God's good and ready, you'll see it. But until then, keep on polishing the vessel. You are God's vessel. 
for what, for when, for where, I don't know. And any rabbi that tells you that he sees your soul's tikkun, it's time to head to the other side of the street. And here's a biggie. When the rabbi looks you in the eyes and tells you that your soulmate is so-and-so, I'll be nice. I'm being recorded right now. <laughs> Do you know how many people were hurt by that? It's not a joke. How many people were hurt? Married, had a baby, got divorced, now what? That rabbi deposited the check, and you're sitting here now. Now go do something. And I don't mean to be nasty that way. But this is such a delicate shiur. Divine signs. Every one of us wants to have a Kabbalist on our speed dial. We really do. You have no idea how many times I get called. Do you know someone, a Kabbalist, who understands in dreams and signs? We want that. We want to know that there's something special for me in my life and I want to have someone to point it out to me. Well, I'm sorry. Get back to the program. Work the Jewish program. 613, study Torah, prepare yourself. Be there. Be there for the moment. Make the tikkun you have to on your vessel. Learn to open up your eyes. Go a little bit from the egocentric to the theocentric. How in the world do you expect to have a divine sign when we're egocentric? How can you have a divine sign? God could be standing right in front of you and you wouldn't see it because we're egocentric. Egocentric and God are not good friends. So you have to work the program. We have to sit and learn. We have to teach our brains to stop thinking egocentric. There's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger mission here. Torah and mitzvot. It's not about me. It's about God. What have I done for God lately? And then when you keep on working that, working that, working that, there will be a time when Mordechai will let you know, hey girl, it's your moment. Showtime. People, thank you.